I am Anthony, the host of my PhD Experience Podcast, a show that brings to you interesting insights about how to navigate graduate school, bag your PhD, and secure a postdoctoral position. of my PhD experience podcast. Today I'm bringing a very good friend of mine that studied in Nigeria. You know, over the past uh, few, few episodes, I brought in people that studied outside Nigeria. But today I'm bringing someone that studied in Nigeria. They equally have a very strong achievement and successes in his PhD. A perfect example of someone that studied in Nigeria that can inspire you to actually do your PhD in Nigeria. That's the caliber of person I'm bringing today. So uh, just to t- tell you a little bit about my guest today, you know, he obtained his PhD in Nigeria in 2019 and his uh, work focuses on uh, migration and he's got very good track record of publications. He's got lots of awards and scholarships and funding a testament to the fact that you can do your PhD in Nigeria and to receive all grants, all kinds of uh, funding and support. So it's going to be an interesting episode today. You are going to learn a lot from this guest and I can guarantee you. So please listen and, and continue. So thank you, my very good friend, Dr. Kudus Adeboy, I call him. Welcome to my PhD experience podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Tony, thank you very much for bringing me on. Yeah, great. Thank you for, for honoring our invitation. So as we start, could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay, as you uh, pointed out in the introduction, I'm happy to be here. Uh, but particularly, uh, let me start by uh, saying who I am. I'm Kudus Adebayo, uh, currently a research fellow at the Institute of African Studies, University of Ibadan, Nigeria. Uh, my background is in philosophy, uh, and then I did my master's and um, PhD in sociology, uh, both at the University of Ibadan, uh, Nigeria. Oh, great, great. Yeah, so, I mean, this is, it must be a good transition to, tra- to transition from philosophy to sociology. How was the transition? Uh, it was really um, great. It was great for me. It was a decision that I made uh, by the time I was done with my, with my first degree to want to combine the theoretical knowledge with also um, uh, some practical kind of um, approach to understanding reality, you know, and seeing how those theoretical understanding can be brought to real life um, everyday issues, you know, that affect people uh, generally. So that that transition was something that I found really fascinating and I felt was promising for me. So I, I, I went for it. Oh, great. So now since the transition, um... Could you tell us briefly the area your research interests or the areas you've been conducting research on over the past few years? Okay, um, I, I've been doing research mainly around uh, migration and diasporization of uh, Nigerians, and that was the focus of my PhD work, which uh, uh, had the title Migration and Settlement Experiences of Nigerians in China. So, my field work held in, in China in 2017. And I've uh, since completed my, my PhD work, and I've been doing research around around that. So apart from that uh, cluster of work, I've also done stuff on um, <clears throat> urban livelihoods in Nigeria, where I've looked at um, the different ways that um, the uh, everyday people, you know, marginalized people, who be categorized as marginalized population, you know, negotiate um, urban spaces and the different, different ways that they, that they do it. And I'm also broadly interested in um, knowledge production issues, um, how we can begin to bring more awareness around African social realities, you know, to play when we think about social theorizing and the way we produce knowledge, you know, in this, in this part of the world, or even engage theory as well. Wow, those are interesting areas. I particularly, I love migration. Um, Maybe one day we'll collaborate on, an, on the migration topic. 
but uh, it's yeah, it's one, it's one area I've not done a lot and I feel like I still need to do some work and one of the areas I have keen interest in. Um, and again, issues of knowledge productions are equally important and issues of livelihood in urban space are very, very germane. So again, for listeners, if you are interested in collaborating in all these uh, topics, you can reach out to our guest. But again, just for us to, you know, to really really understand your phd experience i would like to ask you this question what motivated you to pursue a phd yeah so my story isn't typical in terms of um, you know when you ask a lot of people oh, why did you start phd and things like that you know people always have this reference to say an uncle a brother or even parents who have had that experience and then you know you actually is something that you met you know growing up but i i didn't have that kind of um, background so I, I i came to university uh because i got to learn that um, that's the way to actually get yourself secured you know uh as a person you have to go to university but the more i went through this process uh i realized that there, there are things that i could do right um i had background philosophy um critical thinking sharpened and I have a lot, of, a lot of questions, you know, I have questions uh, about things that I see, even though I don't talk a lot, you know, but I observe, I see things. And I learned early at some point also that going further, you know, to study, you know, at that level, at PG level could be useful, you know, into finding some of those answers. So it, it was for me, you know, it was something that I, that I felt could help me satisfy certain curiosities around what I see around me, um, around in my environment and um, what I think are really important to change, you know, in the society. So that those motivations came, came from there. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me about why that particular research that I chose for my PhD, it will be because as I engaged a lot of work um, in the area that I was interested in, migration more generally, I realized that even though a lot of um, migration is happening between Africa um, and China, uh, most of the people that are doing research in that area are actually non-Africans. And um, I felt that um, there's need to infuse perspectives that go beyond, say, Asiatic or Western um, scholarly um, worldview to see how I could see that same issue from my perspective as a Nigerian who is based here in Nigeria. Hmm. Okay, so even though you, you, your journey differs from the typical journey of someone having maybe someone from the family as their key motivator or key influence, but again, I do know that influence may not necessarily flow from the family, it could also be from, from outside the family. So who, who are your key influences when it comes to academics? Yeah, I, I'll say first of all, my, my my PhD supervisor, who was also my master supervisor. Uh, and, and it so happened that um, even though my first encounter with him was, was really funny, um, when I went to submit my, my, my report, a report for my master's project, he, 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 I'm supposed to see him the next week, you know, after submitting, we are supposed to meet next week. And then some hours later, he called me on that same day asking if I if I was still close by that he wanted to see me uh, but I, I told him I was I was in the library at the time so he said oh, I could come the next day which was unusual so I went back to him and he sat me down was telling me how impressed he was with my work that what I tried to do and he was telling me about uh, it feels that um, I could do this at a higher level you know so he, he, he was that influence and he was you know he's someone that, that I really respected we enjoyed this class a lot. He was teaching social theory there at uh, my university in, in, in the battle sociology department. He was teaching social theory, and that was really like I was really uh, wild, you know, coming from him. You know, then I felt okay if he's thinking I could do this, perhaps it's something that I, I, I'm capable of doing. So yeah, I was already sold. Uh, then I also had someone in the department as well who also uh, became my became my my, my mentor uh, in, in the department as well. And she has, you know, in many ways, let me understand that um, um, resilience, uh, you know, is actually 
even more central to being able to do good PhD work than say or brilliance or intelligence or something. Yeah. Those are, those are two. You mentioned two people without mentioning their names. I know that there are oh. lots of uh, lots of listeners that will be wondering. Oh, I also want to go to you. Who are these two people? I hope I will meet them one day. So, what are the names? Yeah. Of these yeah, yeah. So, so the, the, my supervisor, uh, his name is uh, Professor Femi Omolulu, uh, who is a, a demographer, but is 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 a is a dynamic uh, researcher. Given that he has also done or supervised even PhDs in criminology, demography, in um, medical sociology as well. So that versatility actually came to play a lot uh, when when I was going through um, supervision with him. And the other person is Dr. Olufunye uh, Fayon, who um, happens to be, I think, uh, currently the, the the chair of board of Qatar, that's consultant for advanced strategy in Africa. She's a demographer as well. And then, um, I mean, she's she's been uh, wonderful. She's been wonderful to me before I started my PhD. Uh, and I've learned a lot, a lot, a lot from her. And I'm still learning a lot from her, even, even right now. So just for a personal disclosure, I met Kuduzi, you know, during my master's uh, days at the University of Ibadan, and um, and we've been friends since then. You know, we've been friends both at personal level as well as uh, uh, academic friends as well. So, and again, I'm familiar with these uh, two mentors of his, and they are, I could say they are also equally my mentors as well, especially Dr. Fumikefayo. So, okay, let's just um, go on. I felt it's important I make that disclosure as well. Okay, so now let's talk about your PhD experience itself. How would you describe your PhD experience? I think, I think my PhD experience was, uh, was, was unusual. And, uh, and, and the more I went into it, uh, it became more than just doing research. It became something to make a statement with. Mm-hmm. Even the environment within which I was doing my work. So it was it was unusual and it felt like something to make a statement with. Because really, um, in choosing that topic that I that I chose, I wanted to go to China to do research on Nigerians in China. And um, I'm in an environment where you, we've not had, even though people do research on migration or whatever, is rarely international migration research. And when they do international migration research, or the ones that I'm familiar with, they were like cross-border research within the West African region. At least two that have been done in my department at the time. And so here and there was I, you know, um, I didn't have money, no funds. My, um, I mean, I couldn't say I could touch money anywhere. You know, I just went and came into the program with a lot of naivety, you know, thinking that, oh, if my research was good enough, and which my supervisor told me if it was good enough, I should be able to get funds. But when I was done writing my, my proposal and I was showing it to people, I mean, someone saw me on the corridor and said, oh, um, you have written a good proposal. I think you should just look for a journal and put it in and um, look for something else. Because I mean, you have to be realistic. You know, so by looking at my work and evaluating with the so-called smart smart um, uh, criteria, uh, criteria, you know, like, look, guy, you can't, you can't do this. You need to drop it and take something else. And this is a research that I've committed, I think, close to two years or two. So I felt that I don't want to be the guy that other researchers, senior colleagues will use to tell the stories to others on how not to choose research topic. Because I didn't think it was a big deal. But here was I getting stuck my economic, my financial conditions and everything. I don't want to be the person that someone would use in certain example. Oh, someone, there's this guy we knew back then, he picked this research, an elephant project, and was unable to do it. He had to leave or something. So I didn't want that. So I took that as a challenge. I want to say that, okay, any research student that wants to do any work, it is possible, provided that it is a sound, solid, sound research. It was a kind of, um, uh, decision that I made at, at the time, so I wanted to challenge that. I wanted, I wanted to be the person that also motivates upcoming PhD students. That when they come into the department, there there is a precedence. That if you want to do any research abroad, you know you can be imaginative. 
as a research student, you know, given your condition, you know, what goes on, I mean, there's no funding within, all kinds of issues, you know, that, but if your research is good and you know you are resourceful, you know how to um, look for things and talk to people and um, knowing that nothing comes easy, even if you have money to fund research, there could be other things that would also prohibit you from going further. So I wanted to change that narrative that, look, if you're in Nigeria, you are basically condemned to to not do something um, that you like or that you feel is important. So that, that that's, that's justice. That is really a bold move. I mean, because again, we, we all know the funding landscape in, in Nigeria in particular, and in many African countries, to, to say, to, to, just to generalize quite a bit. Maybe I said from South Africa, funding funding landscape is very dry, very, very dry. Of course, you can be internationally competitive and be able to compete internationally, but again, how many funds are out there that you can, that you can even compete for? Because those funds are always tied to issues. So if you're not really working on that particular issue, it means that even your own idea may not necessarily fit into that funding that creates all kinds of problems. And because of that, I want us to then talk briefly about uh, an important issue that prospective students or even current students are always thinking and talking about is the issue of funding. How do you secure funding in a PhD program? And I noticed that you won a, a, a several funding, series of funding for your research. So could you take us through some of the things that you consider very useful that made you competitive for some of the fundings you won? And perhaps also to mention some of the fundings you won and, and touch on what made you competitive for the funding? Okay, uh, thank you for this um, interesting question. I think I think it's the most important issue that a prospective PhD uh, student should should think about seriously, and then not as a way to discourage themselves, but as a way to um, anticipate the kind of challenge they are going to face. So, funding uh, for me, uh, I, I I was lucky to be being supervised by someone who understood what was most important first and foremost and that was the idea what what is your idea uh so it was always particular because at times i would sit down and um, we we're having a conversation and i would tell him about how um worried i am about my field work and things like that and he would tell me look i've not even read your proposal i've not seen your proposal i've not seen what you are trying to do you know that when we get to the river, we, we, we'll cross it. And that was the kind of confidence he gave me. You know, at times, to the point that at times, I think that I had in mind, maybe he was gonna give me money to do the work because he was so confident that if the work is good, we'll get funding for it. But that is not the whole issue because at the end of the day, you have to be practical, right? So it's about starting early for me. I think the first issue is about starting early, knowing where to look what resources are available within your university and i will talk about that with the story uh, with the first um, um grant or the, the first scholarship that i got you know when i started my second year of my phd i realized you know having having paid for the first year um and then started the program i realized that i was not going to be able to pay for the second year of phd so what did i start to do I was looking around, I was looking around the university, what is available, what's out there. And I, I discovered that the postgraduate uh, uh, college has scholarship, teaching assistantship position and scholarship opportunities. So what I did was to just watch out. And then there's a, there's a serious problem about information sharing here, where you get to find out about opportunities, maybe like a day or two days to deadline, you know? Uh, because, you know, I don't know for whatever reason, that this happens a lot. But because I had zero in mind to say that, look, if I don't apply for this particular grant of a scholarship, I'm not going to be able to support myself uh, through the second year. So I got notice, I got wind of the information about, oh, this uh, funding or this scholarship was going to be um, annou was announced. Like when, when it was announced, I got notice of it about two days before the deadline. So I was already prepared. I submitted on the final day of submission. I had to submit physical or whatever. So I was able to do that. I was able to put my application in. But having done that, you know, I was um, I was hopeful, you know, hoping that something would happen. 
But what also happened afterwards was that when I was called for interview, you know, I was not in Nigeria. So I was in the U.S. attending BRE program. That's the Brown International Advanced Research Institute. Uh, when I, uh, um, uh, it's a fully funded um, uh, program. I was the first time I ever left Nigeria. And I was here in this place where uh, my future, the future of my PhD hangs in the balance. So it also means that you have to be proactive in terms of what you do. And part of what I did to that is to send email explaining that I was away. I could have said, oh, Nigeria, uh, people don't like, uh, they don't attend to you or they don't care. You know, if you have missed it, you have missed it. I took that extra step to just send email. And when I returned back to Nigeria, I informed them that I was around. So, so I talked to people that I had this opportunity uh, to be away. And surprisingly, when I got to Pusgari College, the people in charge were actually expecting me to notify them when I, when I came back. So which I did, and they organized a fresh interview for me. And I got that, and I got that uh, scholarship position. So that allowed me to balance myself, you know, for at least for the next two and a half years, you know, to settle into my work. But it wasn't enough, right? It wasn't enough to get me to China to do work. And while I was doing it, you know, I was, I had like, I was still like brutally practical. You know, I was having budgets of different amounts, like 500,000 Naira, you know, budget of uh, 700,000 or 4 million Naira. So that if I have to go to China on a project of 500,000 Naira, what would I need? How much would I spend? You know, stuff like that. So I was, I was, I was constantly experimenting with what is the barest minimum that I could, that I could get. So, um, but apart from that, apart from this, this first step of starting early, starting early and looking in locally, you know, so what is available, you know, you also need to uh, be dynamic, you know, be adaptive, sort of, you know, uh, and that becomes really interesting in the sense that there are all kinds of opportunities that are out there every year by different granting organizations. And as you rightly said, a lot of them are attached to specific research projects that if your work doesn't fall into it, you know, you you probably just not get anything. So being adaptive also means that you need to see the connections between your work and a lot of other issues. You know, so I'm saying that though I want to do the research on Nigerians in China. Yeah, so I see a work on, I see a call on um, public and population health. You know, even though I was coming from sociology, philosophy, I didn't know anything about that. So how do I get myself to compete you know, in, in this kind of uh, of, of, um, of grants. So I had to adapt my work. I had to readapt my work. I had to start writing, um, you know, reading things that are totally new so that I get myself in the door with the knowledge that. So, 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 and in doing that, that means you have to read between the lines of the call. You know, what does it allow? You know, you have to read between the lines uh, such that you can actually get in line, in, get in the door first, and then now say, because this proposal, proposals can change. Right? So, but they have to know that you can be in that space. So it's part of the things that I took advantage of. You know, I saw I saw calls. So I, I got the fellowship that's consultant for advanced research training in Africa, Qatar, which I mentioned the other time. Uh, I also call, got a, which is basically public and population health uh, focused um, uh, fellowship. I also got the fellowship from the African Humanities Program, which is totally humanistic, humanistic uh, funded uh, work you have your work has to be humanistic and if you are coming from geosciences you have to adopt um humanistic uh, methodologies and i also got a grant from from um, um the council for development of geoscience uh, research in africa that's codestria and codestria is known for his um interest in uh science work generally but also boundary pushing ideas that challenge theories that challenge the way Africans are seen in the world and all of that. So that means that if, I'm, if I want to get into this space, these three spaces, you know, I have to, I have to um, be more imaginative in my work. So it means that I have to remove myself that this tunnel vision of um, image that I have about my work has to be expanded. And that was what I was, what I was doing. And this doesn't just come easier because at the end of the day, I was having uh, multiple proposals. You know, I have one objective, two objectives that address different issues that appeal to these different funders, but which in my PhD work at the department, everything must fit together. Hmm. Hmm. 
So, so yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's, it's quite interesting. Maybe for for you. The ability to adapt and the ability to be very flexible and adapt your, uh, your purpose or your ideas to other issues, to be able to connect the dots was um, really, really critical in securing funds for you. Okay, so again, because we have limited time, I want to move to another topic to talk on getting international exposure as a, as, as a student in Nigeria. Because I do know that many people study for their PhD or master's in Nigeria, thinking about how do I you know, attend conferences, international conferences, I mean, how do I, how do I get into international programs? I know you uh, you know, attended a few, and I also want you to tell us how to go about this and how to be very competitive for some of these international programs and conferences. Perhaps you can okay. use your first conference or your first international trip as an example as well. So the first, the first um, uh, opportunity I had, which I shared with you, was to go to uh, ever the first time that I left Nigeria for anything, was to go to Brown University uh, in the in the U.S. to attend the Brown International Advanced Research Institute, uh, which focused then on population and developments. Was convened by um, um, Daniel Jonathan Smith and also someone um, uh, named Bianca Dahl. Uh, was based at uh, the University in Canada at the time. Now, my position had been basically that um, even though I wanted to do a PhD, that is not a straight road, right? That I have to stop by in a lot of places and that at the end of the day, everything adds up together. So going to those conferences were actually part of the things that I knew I had to do. You know, and um, I realized this early because I was also talking to experienced researchers, you know, on the corridor at my department, you know, that I talk about why you need to do this and that if you get one, you're likely to get another one. So mm. I got that already. And so I, I put myself out there, you know, to, to compete. And this means that it's not, you, you have to, you have to get yourself distracted a bit every now and then and distracted quote and unquote here. You know, because at times some of these trainings are not directly related to your PhD. But because you need that exposure, you have to be out there, you meet your peers. In fact, when I went to the when I went to the, um, the program at, at Brown the first time, I saw PhD researchers that as I'm leaving back to come back to Nigeria, they were going to other universities to attend other programs, you know, there in the United States. Then I'm wondering, okay, these are PhD students as well. This is what I should be doing as well. So I got motivated, I got inspired, and that made it possible for me to, to keep putting myself out there. You know, and in some of these meetings, I was able to meet people who became instrumental to the success of my PhD. But they were not my target when I went out there. You know, I just wanted to see what's going on out there to attend. So what part of what also happened with um, going and, and being competitive is also, I mean, you can't remove this from, from, from reading. I mean, as a, as a PhD student, you have to read and read and read and read, know the debates, know what what's, um, the discussion is, um, know who the lead uh, voices are in, in whatever area that you want to get into. And then even you, as a researcher, still research in small, small places, you know, places that are unexpected. And the competitiveness comes from you being able to have something to say. Mm. You know, you have to understand that early that as a PhD student, people respect what you say. In provided that you are able to present what you want to present in critical or in more in a logical way. You know, so you are respected, people want to hear from you because they realize that as a doctoral researcher, you are the future of societies or you are part of the future of societies. That the knowledge you produce, the kind of orientation you have has implication for whether or not society fails or society, you know, survives. Hmm. So a lot of us come into the PhD program, you know, not knowing whether what we, we feel like we are subservient or because we have to quote someone, we have to quote. No, your perspective is really important. And that is what I bring into all the places, all the things I have competed for, all the, all the places, conferences that I have put my application to. And I basically target opportunities that are funded. Hmm. 
So mm. I don't have to pay for anything. Like, yeah, I read the I read the calls first. You know, if you are not funding, I'm not applying because I don't have the funds. And that makes you even more competitive because people that are paying all expense paid trip for the hotel, for flights, for everything you are going to spend, it means that you are going to you must have something really meaningful to say mm. for people to spend that amount of money on you. So that makes the threshold really add, uh, you know, high for you as a person. So if you're applying for something that you have to pay for, you don't have to worry so much because you have gotten many, many opportunities that people are paying for. When people are paying for you, that means you have something to say. So that also legitimizes you, your voice and all of that. So there's no one way to talk about um, how to be competitive for, for some of these uh, opportunities, but it's about seeing them and then going after them. You get a lot of rejections. I got rejections. I mean, there was a time I applied for maybe the 14 opportunities. I got, um, I only got one out of out of those. But that one, you know, changed my whole year, you know. And that this ha- would happen a lot of ways. But and you get better by doing it. You have to put yourself out there. You have to make yourself vulnerable and be willing or prepared to accept rejections because that is part of the whole thing in academia. You will be rejected many, many, many times and over again. And if you talk to experienced researchers as well, they will tell you the same thing. No, that's true. That's true. Rejection is part of the is part of the learning process, and it is pretty common in uh, in the academic world. And just to say that you have incredible story, um, and again, the, to, to just say your story is inspiring in a lot of ways. To say that it doesn't matter where you do your PhD, you can do your PhD in Nigeria and be able to travel the world and be able to do interesting stuff, attend conferences fund their conferences, travel to the US, to, to Europe, to so many countries, even within Africa as well. And and I, and I do believe that most of our listeners here now listening should be, uh, your, your, your story should open their eyes to all the possibilities that are out there in terms of what you can actually do beyond just being a student and, and writing a thesis. So that said, I think um, we should touch on another important um, elephant in the room and that is publication okay you want to clarify one more point yes yes because i think this is important the academic environment within which one is doing research really matters as well because i was privileged to be in a department where a lot of the researchers they are they are doing really well i mean the time that i went to uh biari um that year that particular year in that same institute I was there, a PhD student, a master student from my department was also in that program, and a lecturer from my department was also there. I mean, this is a very competitive program, and then in that department, I, I didn't see that happening with all the other um, attendants. There are people, people that came to that to that program. So that for me uh, is it, really important because many of the researchers in the biology sociology in UI, you know, they 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 are very uh, they are recognized in their field. They are doing. Um, their research, people know them. They are known the, the world over, uh, you know, and then um, they are here, right? And that tells me that you don't, uh, it's not until I like go out or somewhere out there to get the kind of voice that I that I needed, that I could still do what I needed to do here, but that it may be difficult, that it's, like it's difficult, it was difficult, but that it is also it's still possible, right? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you totally. We just did a free promotion for University of Ibadan. I hope they would pay me for this promotion. <laughs> anyway, so just to say, there's, an, there's another elephant in the room, and that's publications. You know, as a PhD, all PhD students want to publish. So could you tell us about your first publications and some of the stuff you've learned over the years? Uh, that yeah. you can share to, 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 to listeners about how to go about publishing their papers. So on publications, I think my, my first paper, uh, just where I could recall that I wrote, uh, upon, or I got the invitation to contribute by, by chance. And that was when I, um, I was speaking to a professor. So I, I will still go back to the of sociology because it's a, it's a different a learning environment, you know, when you think about it in comparison to a lot of other places. So I was meeting to a professor and the uh, professor retired to be precise and I uh, just joined the development sociology program at the time and we were talking, we spoke for an hour and uh, as I was leaving, I was about to leave, 
and he said, oh, you said you finished from philosophy. Perhaps maybe he enjoyed that discussion. I don't know. I, I didn't bother to ask afterwards. I'm not, I don't ask now. And he said, oh, why not write the paper for us on so, so, and so, you know, and, 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 and that was it. In fact, when I wrote, when I wrote that, that paper, uh, it was a theory, it was a theory paper. So it was published in a book. Uh, people were wondering like, who is this? students you know nobody knew who i was uh, at the time so it gave, it gave me that that opportunity uh and that that early period to let me see what i could do you know as a as a as, as a researcher so that that was that challenged me you know to to start right at that at that early period but as i also moved on you know i had other um uh, senior colleagues you know in the department who also saw that I could make some of those contributions. One of whom was um, Dr. Akonli, also in the environment of sociology. And he, he was bringing me on board on, on papers. And if you look at my publication track record, like you see that many of my early works were actually done uh, in collaboration with him. He would invite me, ask me to do some writings every now and then. And I could remember one of, on one uh, occasion, uh, having written this particular section of, of the work, he kept asking me, you know, did I write it? Like, uh, I hope I didn't copy it from somewhere, you know, things like that. He kept asking me, he asked me repeatedly. And I said, no, I wrote, I wrote this, right? So it's one of, the, I think the paper is most cited from, uh, I mean, the second most cited from my, from my, from my papers. But as, as, I, as I moved on, I also taught myself early that, um, at some point, I would have to start doing this by myself, right? That I need to learn the review process. And my first experience with review process was not palatable hmm. because it was from a paper that I co I collaborated with on uh, with uh, by Dr. Dr. Akole, and he asked me to respond to the reviewers. Hmm. So I did it the first time. They sent it back. I did it the second time. They sent it back, and then the third time, I told him, I, "I'm not doing this again." I'm not saying again. So the next thing I heard about the paper was that it was out, it was published because he had to just, he had to take it on then at that point to now work on it and get it sorted. But he mm -hmm. kept coming back. Then I, I asked myself when, I, I mean, how would, would I be running from review like this? So like, let me start, let me see what it's like uh, to do this stuff. So I started doing research. I collaborated with colleagues in the department and then I started doing it by myself and then I learned, you know, the review process, what I need to do. And I began to realize that it's actually a fruitful process. And mm -hmm. I accepted early enough that when people reject your work, it's not like, it's not like they are personally like against you, mm -hmm. you know, that's what they are just saying. Um, um, you have to keep going and like, it's okay to be rejected and all of that. So I saw it like a, like a, like a game or, or, or like a dance, you know, that, you will get this feedback, they bounce back every now and then, but there's always another place to go to, to do, to, to also get your say. And this has happened even as um, I've, I've, been, I've been publishing. I've also had like a paper that I published recently that I had to, I got like rejected in about uh, 12 journals, you mm. know, before I got a place for it eventually. Uh, I've had experience with a, with, uh, with a journal where I published, uh, I tried to publish a work. It has been accepted provisionally after three rounds of reviews, and then eventually it was still rejected. So mm -hmm. I, I've had like all these experiences now, and then it, it seemed like it's okay. I'm, I'm not so bothered about it anymore. You know, so that is the the, the, the process. I mean, getting to write this stuff and, and just have to try. I have a quick follow-up question on that to say, hmm, and this question is quite good in one sense, but let me just ask the question either way <laughs> to say that, where should you publish in terms of which journal should you publish? That's where I'm going to phrase the question. Which journal should you publish as a PhD student? Well, as a as a PhD student, I think you you have to publish in the best places that are available out there. I mean, that is the the goal, right? And I I don't. I'm sorry, uh, Tony. I keep going back to my my department. Hmm. Um, I mean, I have stories on, on a lot of the researchers because I kept um, one of those people that go into, like, I could listen, uh, I could ask, you know, at times we, we feel like, oh, we are supervisors or lecturers are like, 
um, they are in their world, their own world and everything. They don't want to share anything. But when they see that you are really curious and everything, they, they, they talk to you, they talk. They, because they also want people, they want to share those things that they know. Mm. So, um, Dr. Mabawale, who is also in development sociology, uh, whenever I, there was a paper that I wrote at, at the time with um, two other uh, PhD colleagues uh, in my department, and he, he read it, he was reviewing it for us, and then he told me, so oh, this, this work is really good. Of course, you are publishing it in this particular journal right now, but that if I had done work that is as good as this, mm. make sure get to the best place out there to give it maximum exposure that you get the best you get the best journal to put it since then i've never let go of that you know i, I took that in my in my palms and and i've run, run run with that advice so everything that, that i've done i try to put it in the best place possible so i go to google metrics for instance and i look at okay uh which which journals are maybe the top 20 to publish this particular work, you know, I check and then I start working my way from up downwards, mm. you know, I pull my way from up downwards, like that, like that. That's, that's how I've approached. And then now I also use a uh, journal finders and, um, or even look at this is where people that I find interesting in that work that I'm doing are published their work, mm. which is usually the best places that are out there. You know, so you have to keep your work maximum exposure, publish in the best places as much as as, as possible. Great. I think and of course, an addendum, that, an addendum to that is also that um, as a PhD student, you should also not be fixated on publishing in number one journal, number two, or whatever. You need to have a diverse um, portfolio of, of publishing, publishing in different places. At times, new ideas or critical ideas um, or field-changing ideas may not be as or may people, um, um, editors may not be receptive to um, discipline-changing ideas in the topmost top-flight journals. That you have to look for, say, a Q3 journal to put it. Let it be out there. Let people debate it. Let them engage it. They can't run away from it if it's in the public sphere. You know, they have to engage with that idea eventually. So you also have to understand the politics of um, of, of publication and of publishing and all of that. So that that's you know that that's uh, important to to mention. Moving forward, I think if I do not ask these questions, my listeners will not forgive me. And this is the question of writing the thesis. Writing is difficult. Then writing thesis is a different market. So tell us about you know the process of writing your thesis. What were your main challenges, and how easy was it for you? So that that part is is really interesting because as time was nearing, you know, when I was done with my my uh, field work, I came back to Nigeria. So I was like doing analysis. I was really interested in a lot of issues. Like a lot of things were coming out because it was a qualitative work, and I had enormous data. So part of what I was doing at the initial time was to try write up manuscripts. You know, to write up manuscripts. A lot of these manuscripts were like um, maybe like marginal issues, so I was spending a lot of time trying to write those, but it was becoming like increasingly difficult to focus on the thesis itself. You know, because you are dealing with like this extended kind of writing that you need to deliver. You know, extended writing, continuous um, arguments, coherent and um, consistent logical argument that you need to make you know, uh, in, in, the, in the thesis uh, work. And then there was this concern about, oh, um, I need to go back to my theory. I need to go back to my uh, literature review because a lot has happened since you propose your work, right? People are published, even at times, people have published things that seem like they are related to what you have done or even some almost exactly like what you have done. So if you have to, you are struggling to, oh, should I engage it? Should I leave this? Should I ignore them? And all of that. So there's that constant worry about what has to happen. But I was also fortunate enough to have people who were like, just like pushing me to say, look, just write what you need to write. Yeah, you have to, you can't cover everything. You can't deal with everything. PhD, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a degree and you have to submit a thesis 
but you are not going to change the entire field you know with your pieces as it is no matter how good no matter how perfect it is so that got me quickly to start to begin to write to begin to write so i was spending time to just write bits and pieces and at some point i decided to bring everything together you know where does this one go where does this go where does this go where does this go by the time i was seeing the number of pages you know increasing i was gaining confidence i was gaining more confidence you know that okay i think this can this will end at some point and my my, my situation was particularly different because at the time i was writing my thesis i uh, my my fiance was was not feeling so well uh and then i was we were always like in and out of hospital and, and things like that so i could get to office today i'm sitting down to write and then um i've been called she would call me oh so so things happening i get there to address the temporary issues i realized that the next few days we are in the hospital so but i also knew that the phd if you don't finish it even if you have spent seven years, six years on it, it's a waste. You, know, you don't get any, you don't get, you don't get a partial PhD. You don't get mm-hmm. a transcript for, for partial PhD. So at the point I decided, I mean, it, it, it takes a lot of work. In fact, you get bored with the work at some point. You know, like, what are you doing? You don't want to move on. I mean, you wake up every day, you say like, you are seeing the same thing every day and you're not sure whether you should keep doing it. So you have to have a way to inspire yourself like every day to keep going because that's what gets you to the finish line uh, as far as this is concerned uh, and if you have if you have enormous data to deal with you know that can really complicate the issue for you quickly so yeah okay it's been an interesting conversation and i think uh, you'll be very honest in your conversation and your responses so perhaps maybe just one final question is to say what are the top challenges you faced during your PhD? And how did you navigate and overcome those challenges? So I, I think the, the greatest challenge that I, that I faced was, uh, init- okay, was, was mobility challenge, you know, um, having to go to, to China to do my fieldwork. And this, this became so because uh, initially when I was thinking about funds, I was thinking about how am I going to do my work, uh, how am I going to get money, you know, I was mostly thinking about funding, finance, you know, how do I get funds to, to do this work. I didn't think about border, I didn't think about border crossing. As a researcher, as an African, as a Nigerian. I was not I was not thinking about that issue at all and this became really um, important as I moved closer to planning my field work border crossing as a Nigerian because I was going to a place where the Nigerian um, name or nationality has been bastardized or has been stigmatized you know by all kinds of narratives you know that seeks to criminalize the nigerian identity particularly with respect to border crossing so i as a researcher was also caught up in that so you would ask you'd be wondering like oh you could apply to universities you know to get you invitation letters and stuff like that china is but is unique is unique uh, in the sense that um, your documentation to migrate you know well, particularly when you're applying to university will need to go through the um, foreign affairs ministry and I constantly found myself you know even after getting help from researchers from the US from Switzerland from within China Beijing um, Guangzhou and then also in the central city in China you know I found myself getting the same response that they are not giving visa to Nigerians for now you know, so those universities were also not the international office of those universities were unable to secure the document that I needed. That was most important document that I needed to actually get um, my, my my travel done. So that set me back for at least more than a year and a half. Wow. You know, because I couldn't travel, because I couldn't travel, I couldn't leave Nigeria, despite having the funds that I needed to do my field work. So I think that was that, that became the most important issue uh, for me. Uh, once I was able to solve the issue of, of, of funding. How did you solve this uh, challenge? So one of the ways I, that, that I 
dealt with it and of course which i've documented in a in a paper also an autoethnography on um, academic immobility uh due to be published by uh, uh journal of higher education in africa um a journal by uh, codestria is to embrace the informality because part of what i did was to map out the opportunities that are available you know that if i want to the different ways that are available for me to migrate to move so and one of the things that i discovered early is the role of um, um agents visa agents and all of that who also process visas but i wanted to go through the formal university system and that was why i waited so long that that those uh, visa agents were my last um uh what's it called my last uh, option so i delayed for as long as possible, for as long as uh, permitted for me to wait, you know, and in the end, I had to consult with visa agents who magically were able to produce a visa for me under three weeks, at least wow. the first time. Wow. And the second time that I, that I applied to go, they were able to produce that visa like in like uh, two to three months. Wow. And it was something that I, that I waited for for close to um, two years, you know. Um, for my feedback. So yeah. 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 Thank you very much for your time and for sharing your experience. We really, really enjoyed this interview. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to learn from this interview. And then hopefully we'll bring you up one more time to come and perhaps take answer some questions that arise from this interview. Because I know our listeners will be sending in questions and we call upon you again. I hope you will honor our invitation. Mm, yeah, I'll be happy to. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So this is the end of the episode on uh, Dr. Kudus Adebayo's PhD experience. I hope you enjoyed it thoroughly as I did. Thank you for listening.